Chapter 1 of The Double, a Petersburg Poem. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Double, a Petersburg Poem by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translated by Constance Garnet. Chapter 1. It was a little before eight o'clock in the morning when Yakov Petrovich Kolyatkin, a titular councillor, woke up from a long sleep. He yawned, stretched, and at last opened his eyes completely. For two minutes, however, he lay in his bed without moving, as though he were not quite yet certain whether he were awake or still asleep, whether all that was going on around him were real and actual, or the continuation of his confused dreams. Very soon, however, Mr. Golyadkin's senses began more clearly and more distinctly to receive their habitual and everyday impressions. The dirty green, smoke-begrimed, dusty walls of his little room, with the mahogany chest of drawers and chairs, the table painted red, the sofa covered with American leather of a reddish color with little green flowers on it, and the clothes taken off in haste overnight and flung in a crumpled heap on the sofa, looked at him familiarly. At last, the damp autumn day, muggy and dirty, peeped into the room through the dingy window pane with such a hostile, sour grimace that Mr. Goyodkin could not possibly doubt that he was not in the land of Nod, but in the city of Petersburg, in his own flat on the fourth story of a huge block of buildings in Shestilovokny Street. When he had made this important discovery, Mr. Goyodkin nervously closed his eyes, as though regretting his dream and wanting to go back to it for a moment. But a minute later, he leapt out of his bed at one bound, probably all at once grasping the idea about which his scattered and wandering thoughts had been revolving. From his bed he ran straight to the little round looking glass that stood on his chest of drawers. Though the sleepy, short-sighted countenance and rather bald head reflected in the looking glass were of such an insignificant type that at first sight they would certainly not have attracted particular attention in any one, yet the owner of the countenance was satisfied with all that he saw in the looking glass. What a thing it would be, said Mr. Goyadkin in an undertone. What a thing it would be if I were not up to the mark today. If something were amiss, if some intrusive pimple had made its appearance, or anything else unpleasant had happened. So far, however, there's nothing wrong. So far, everything's all right. Greatly relieved that everything was all right, Mr. Goyadkin put the looking-glass back in its place, and, although he had nothing on his feet and was still in the attire in which he was accustomed to go to bed, he ran to the little window and with great interest began looking for something in the courtyard upon which the windows of his flat looked out apparently what he was looking for in the yard quite satisfied him too his face beamed with a self-satisfied smile then after first peeping however behind the partition into his valet petrushka's little room and making sure that petrushka was not there he went on tiptoe to the table opened the drawer in it and fumbling in the furthest corner of it he took from under old yellow papers and all sorts of rubbish a shabby green pocket-book, opened it cautiously, and with care and relish peeped into the furthest and most hidden fold of it. Probably the roll of green, grey, blue, red, and particolored notes looked at Golyadkin, too, with approval. With a radiant face he laid open the pocket-book before him, and rubbed his hands vigorously, in token of the greatest satisfaction. Finally he took it out, his comforting roll of notes and for the hundredth time since the previous day counted them over, carefully smoothing out every note between his forefinger and his thumb. Seven hundred and fifty roubles in notes, he concluded at last in a half-whisper. 
Seven hundred and fifty roubles, a noteworthy sum. It's an agreeable sum, he went on, in a voice weak and trembling with gratification, as he pinched the roll with his fingers and smiled significantly. It's a very agreeable sum, a sum agreeable to anyone. I should like to see the man to whom that would be a trivial sum. There's no knowing what a man might not do with a sum like that. What's the meaning of it, though? thought Mr. Golyotkin. Where's Petrushka? And still in the same attire, he peeped behind the partition again. Again, there was no sign of Petrushka, and the samovar standing on the floor was beside itself, fuming and raging in solitude, threatening every minute to boil over, hissing and lisping in its mysterious language. To Mr. Goyadkin, something like, Take me, good people, I'm boiling and perfectly ready. Damn the fellow, thought Mr. Goyadkin, that lazy brute might really drive a man out of all patience. Where's he dawdling now? In just indignation, he went out into the hall, which consisted of a little corridor at the end of which was a door into the entry, and saw his servant surrounded by a good-sized group of lackeys of all sorts, a mixed rabble from outside as well as from the flats of the house. Petrushka was telling something the others were listening. Apparently the subject of the conversation, or the conversation itself, did not please Mr. Goyotkin. He promptly called Petrushka and returned to his room displeased and even upset that beast would sell a man for a halfpenny and his master before anyone he thought to himself and he's sold me he certainly has i bet he's sold me for a farthing well they've brought the livery sir put it on and come here when he had put on his livery petrushka with a stupid smile on his face went in to his master his costume was incredibly strange he had on a much-worn green livery with frayed gold braid on it, apparently made for a man a yard taller than Petrushka. In his hand he had a hat trimmed with the same gold braid and with a feather in it, and at his hip hung a footman's sword in a leather sheath. Finally, to complete the picture, Petrushka, who always liked to be in negligee, was barefooted. Mr. Goyadkin looked at Petrushka from all sides and was apparently satisfied. The livery had evidently been hired for some solemn occasion. It might be observed, too, that during his master's inspection, Petrushka watched him with strange expectancy, and with marked curiosity followed every movement he made, which extremely embarrassed Mr. Golyadkin. Well, and how about the carriage? The carriage is here, too. For the whole day? For the whole day. Twenty-five roubles. And have the boots been sent? Yes. Dolt! Can't even say yes, sir. Bring them here. Expressing his satisfaction that the boots fitted, Mr. Gulyadkin asked for his tea, and for water to wash and shave. He shaved with great care and washed as scrupulously, hurriedly sipped his tea, and proceeded to the principal final process of attiring himself. He put on an almost new pair of trousers, then a shirt front with brass studs and a very brightly and agreeably flowered waistcoat. About his neck, he tied a gay, particolored cravat, and finally drew on his coat, which was also newish and carefully brushed. As he dressed, he more than once looked lovingly at the boots, lifted up first one leg and then the other, admired their shape, kept muttering something to himself, and from time to time made expressive grimaces. Mr. Goyodkin was, however, extremely absent-minded that morning, for he scarcely noticed the little smiles and grimaces made at his expense by Petrushka, who was helping him dress. At last, having arranged everything properly and having finished dressing, Mr. Goyodkin put his pocketbook in his pocket, took a final admiring look at Petrushka, who had put on his boots and was therefore also quite ready, 
and noticing that everything was done and that there was nothing left to wait for he ran hurriedly and fussily out onto the stairs with a slight throbbing at his heart the light blue hired carriage with the crest on it rolled noisily up to the steps petrushka winking to the driver and some of the gaping crowd helped his master into the carriage and hardly able to suppress an idiotic laugh shouted in an unnatural voice off jumped up on the footboard and the whole turnout clattering and rumbling noisily rolled into the nevsky prospect as soon as the light blue carriage dashed out of the gate mr goyatkin rubbed his hands convulsively and went off into a slow noiseless chuckle like a jubilant man who has succeeded in bringing off a splendid performance and is as pleased as punch with the performance himself immediately after his access of gaiety however laughter was replaced by a strange and anxious expression on the face of mr goyatkin though the weather was damp and muggy he let down both windows of the carriage and began carefully scrutinizing the passers-by to the left and to the right at once assuming a decorous and sedate air when he thought anyone was looking at him at the turning from Litany street into the nevsky prospect he was startled by a most unpleasant sensation and frowning like some poor wretch whose corn has been accidentally trodden on he huddled with almost panic-stricken haste into the darkest corner of his carriage he had seen two of his colleagues two young clerks serving in the same government department the young clerks were also it seemed to mr goyatkin extremely amazed at meeting their colleague in such a way one of them in fact pointed him out to the other mr goyatkin even fancied that the other had actually called his name which of course was very unseemly in the street our hero concealed himself and did not respond the silly youngsters he began reflecting to himself why what is there strange in it a man in a carriage a man needs to be in a carriage and so he hires a carriage they're simply noodles i know them simply silly youngsters who still need thrashing they want to be paid a salary for playing pitch farthing and dawdling about that's all they're fit for and i'd let them know if only mr goyadkin broke off suddenly petrified a smart pair of kazan horses very familiar to mr goyadkin in a fashionable droshky drove rapidly by on the right side of his carriage the gentleman sitting in the droshky happening to catch a glimpse of mr goyadkin who was rather incautiously poking his head out of the carriage window also appeared to be extremely astonished at the unexpected meeting and bending out as far as he could looked with the greatest curiosity and interest into the corner of the carriage in which our hero made haste to conceal himself the gentleman in the droshky was andrei filopovitch the head of the office in which mr goyadkin served in the capacity of assistant to the chief clerk mr goyadkin seeing that andrei filopovitch recognized him that he was looking at him open-eyed and that it was impossible to hide blushed up to his ears bow or not call back or not recognize him or not our hero wondered in indescribable anguish or pretend that i am not myself but somebody else strikingly like me and look as though nothing were the matter simply not i not i that's all said mr goyadkin taking off his hat to andrei filopovitch and keeping his eyes fixed upon him i'm i'm all right he whispered with an effort i'm quite all right it's not i it's not i and that's the fact of the matter soon however the droshky passed the carriage and the magnetism of his chief's eyes was at an end yet he went on blushing smiling and muttering something to himself i was a fool not to call back he thought at last i ought to have taken a bolder line and behaved with gentlemanly openness i ought to have said this is how it is andrei filopovitch i'm asked to the dinner too 
and that's all it is. Then, suddenly recalling how taken aback he had been, our hero flushed as hot as fire, frowned, and cast a terrible, defiant glance at the front corner of the carriage, a glance calculated to reduce all his foes to ashes. At last, he was suddenly inspired to pull the cord attached to the driver's elbow and stop the carriage, telling him to drive back to Latenyi Street. The fact was, it was urgently necessary for Mr. Golyotkin, probably for the sake of his own peace of mind, to say something very interesting to his doctor, Kristian Ivanovich. And, though he had made Kristian Ivanovich's acquaintance quite recently, having indeed only paid him a single visit, and that one the previous week, to consult him about some symptom. But a doctor, as they say, is like a priest, and it would be stupid for him to keep out of sight, and indeed it was his duty to know his patients. Will it be all right, though, our hero went on, getting out of the carriage at the door of a five-story house in Latenyi Street, at which he had told the driver to stop the carriage. Will it be all right? Will it be proper? Will it be appropriate? After all, though, he went on, thinking as he mounted the stairs, out of breath, and trying to suppress the beating of his heart, which had the habit of beating on all other people's staircases. After all, it's my own business, and there's nothing reprehensible in it. It would be stupid to keep out of sight. Why, of course, I shall behave as though I were quite all right, and have simply looked in as I passed. He will see that it's all just as it should be. Reasoning like this, Mr. Goyotkin mounted to the second story, and stopped before flat number five, on which there was a handsome brass door plate with the inscription, Kristian Ivanovich Rutenspitz, Doctor of Medicine and Surgery. Stopping at the door, our hero made haste to assume an air of propriety, ease, and even of a certain affability, and prepared to pull the bell. As he was about to do so, he promptly and rather appropriately reflected that it might be better to come tomorrow, and that it was not very pressing for the moment. But as he suddenly heard footsteps on the stairs, he immediately changed his mind again, and at once ran Kristian Ivanovich's bell, with an air, moreover, of great determination. End of chapter 1